You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, your go-to podcast for Catholic ministry shop talk. Episode 19, Tackling Tough Topics. We've all heard the complaint, I could be Catholic if it weren't for, insert unpopular church teaching. In this episode, Colin and I break down where this resistance often comes from and how to engage with those people in a disarming and a fruitful way. Keep listening, and when you're finished with the show, send us an email at ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com to share with us any ideas that have worked for you when it comes to tackling tough topics. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Alan Austin, our um, usual host, actually had to go home sick today. But in the spirit of consistency, we are keeping to our recording schedule. So I am the only person here in the studio. <laughs> I'm the producer, Marisa. You've heard from me a couple times before. And you have the misfortune of having to listen to me host the show today. But the good news is, it's not just me. I have Colin McIver. So Colin McIver is calling in from down south. And um, he just got back from vacation Bible school. He was oh, not yes. attending. I know you might be confused about that, but he was actually helping to lead. So, Colin, <laughs> how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Better than Alan, I guess. Yeah, poor Alan. And Tom is prepping for um, a presentation, so he wasn't able to make it either. So, yes. um, yeah, so busy days. But, Marisa, you're, you're going to do awesomely as a host. I, I always, every time I hear your intros, I think that um, that we have to be careful because NPR is going to, like, scoop you away. <laughs> Your melodious voice. Yeah. My melodious voice. Yeah. Um, I actually just apply a lot of post-production tweaks. You're, you're auto-tuning? <laughs> I'm auto-tuning myself and I'm not even singing. <laughs> no, but tell us about this VBS shenanigans that you're doing. I, I remember days uh, where my mom shipped all five kids off to VBS and we were in the Bible Belt. So all the VBS around us was, they were put on by um, different Protestant churches. And mm-hmm. you better believe my mom did not care. She was ready to have us out of the house. <laughs> so every summer, I think we just church hopped. I think we went, she kind of like looked at the schedule of all the surrounding churches and just found different VBSs for different weeks. And um, we were doing VBS every summer, every day. Yeah, there are, there are many who, who do that. I think some of the kids who are here this week are on VBS number two. And uh, they, they get a lot of VBS. But I, I would say, here, here's the thing. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of the videos. It makes me. If you, you ever saw Rebecca Black in that Friday song, I kind of <laughs> feel like that's what's going on all morning with the with the videos. Um, so she did one on Thanksgiving too. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it, it just it feels like that. So um, if you listened to our last episode and heard me talk about salty, um, I was craving some salty today. It was oh just, man! Like you could go back to like those good old days. Um, but uh, I lo- actually. <clears throat> prepping for our episode today. Today, we're going to talk about tough topics. And in a very unexpected way, I was sitting in front of a bunch of um, incoming third graders who just made their first communion. And we were talking about the Sunday. And I said, you know, of course, it's going to be the feast of the body and blood of the Lord of Corpus Crispy. And they said, that sounds like some sort of like Kentucky fried chicken mix. You know, (laughs) I was like, no, not crispy, crispy, right? Um, (laughs) And (laughs) we were just talking about the Eucharist with, with kids who had just received their first communion. And one of them just had just the typical questions that, you know, that a second grader, almost third grader should have just about, well, well, how can this be? How can, are we eating Jesus? You know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, man, you know, 
Um, and so I had an opportunity in, in VBS to like take him right into John chapter six, which I'll refer to later. I was like, you know what? Jesus friends didn't really totally understand either. It's not like mm-hmm. Peter turned to Jesus and said, this is, I, I get what's going on. Jesus, he just trusted him. So, um, it was interesting that in a VBS after, um, I was, you know, kind of, t- we were playing freeze dance with, with a song and, uh, it turned into this huge, like teachable moment about tough topics. So That's really cool. I, th- I think sometimes we think that when you're younger, um, you learn all the easy stuff in Christianity. You know, you, you learn that God exists, that he loves you, that Jesus is his son and Jesus died for you. And when you get older, you realize that, no, those things are actually the, the toughest yeah, of the things. Yeah. Um, it, it- it reminded me too, you know, that we've, we've t- maybe alluded a couple times to this Kara survey that came out that kind of reveals that at a pretty early age, there are a lot of young people who are, um, at least in their heads and their hearts, leaving their faith because they see some sort of conflict between reason and faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read that. Yeah. I think it was 12. Yeah, 12, it was yeah, 12 or that's, 13. That's, 12 or 13 is, is kind of like this new average age. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I don't know, just talking to this little guy who is um, probably probably eight or so. I was thinking about how maybe having that conversation at age eight or nine where he can see that there isn't a conflict between his faith and his reason or that it's okay to ask those questions that just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. Um, Those are good conversations to have is I think maybe what the survey sort of reveals is that those 12 and 13 year olds are maybe having those doubts, seeing that conflict and it's just never being addressed. Right. So not that we need to have some super sophisticated vacation Bible school. It's like <laughs> the, the summa, <laughs> <laughs> the fetus in ratio Bible school. Come on, kids, everyone bring your summa. You know, that might be a little overkill, but, um, but j- yeah, just because, uh, we live in an age where like the, the philosophical underpinnings that will, will lead us to truth have kind of been stripped away so that the operating system is relativism and that starts early. Yeah. Um, so it makes even even that early early catechesis it makes it harder for it to stick because just the 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 basics of thinking that made self evident truths self evident in the past are not are not there in in the pop cultural upload and yeah. sometimes not in the home maybe I'm overthinking VBS but <laughs> no no not at all and um, yeah I, d- I didn't give a, a full intro when I opened up the show but. Um, just to give you guys an idea of where we where, where we want to take this show, where we want to take this episode, we are talking about tackling tough topics, but we're not necessarily going to get into all of the tough topics that are out there. I mean, you guys know the issues that come up, and we'll allude to them in the context of this conversation. But this conversation is more about kind of the principles underlying a a Catholic and holistic and human approach to engaging with people as they are battling the tough topics um, that maybe present those barriers to entering more fully into the life of the church or into a relationship with Christ. Um, so that's what yes. we have for you today. And um, Colin's got some some top tips. And let's see, he's got seven top tips. Is that too many? Seven? <laughs> that sounds like a lesson. I mean, we get like, there's, there's seven easy to remember seven paragraph easy, right. long tips. Exactly. <laughs> Um, well, no, but they're all great. So I'm not gonna, yeah, I think we should, we should, we should go through them for sure. But kind of just starting off with a framework that, and, and Colin, you just referenced this, but I think one of the most important things to recognize is that every, every day and age has, has ruling ideologies, has an ideologies, that, that sounds like a complicated word. And, and philosophy sounds like a complicated word, but no matter who you are, no matter what society you're living in, there are certain 
ideas that, um, that lay the foundation for people's approach to reality, how they perceive reality, um, how they engage with reality. And so <clears throat> I think that one of the first things that we just have to come to terms with is the fact that the ideologies that rule today are the ideologies of sentimentality and of relativism. So Colin, can you give us a definition of sentimentality and of re relativism? And what do those two things look like concretely? Well, I'll, I'll start with, with this. You may have noticed, um, maybe not just if you work with teens, but maybe especially if you work with, with teens or, or young people, that a lot of sentences nowadays start with the phrase, I just feel like, and then it moves on to whatever idea. Um, that it used to start with, I think that, blah, 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 blah. And, and that, even that could have been just an opinion. But now we've moved into this realm of, I just feel like, meaning that, um, that my gut reaction to the situation and my emotional response to it governs my perception of the reality. Um, so that it's very tied into the other word that you gave, which is relativism. So sentimentality is to be governed by what a thing feels like, um, which makes us very vulnerable to propaganda or any kind of, any kind of sway. Um, whatever the cultural tide is, because that cultural tide is pretty good at manipulating our feelings. Um, and then that goes to relativism. Relativism, the idea that your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And of course, you could respond, well, what if my truth says that your truth isn't true? Is it still true? And then uh, we're just kind of left with blank stares. Um, because relativism is it's just an, an idea that um, the, the truth that is inside my head is, is, is my truth. I'm sort of a the producer of my own universe, my own truth. If I think that there are purple unicorns in the next room, well, then that's my truth. Um, if I think that, you know, two plus two is seven, well, maybe for you it's, it's seven. Um, and, and this is as absurd as that may sound. Um, if you kind of pay attention, especially if you give yourself a week and just pay attention to the conversations you have, you'll see that relativism has really crept into the, the thought operational system of our world and culture especially when it comes to God and morality. So relativism um, is, is a, an ideology that's out there um, that's prevalent in our culture. It's kind of the virus in our thinking operating system. Um, Pope Benedict says that it is, um, and Pope Francis have both roughly paraphrased that it's, it's the most sort of dangerous thing out there in terms of thought is relativism. Yeah, and, and they really work. They're kind of like two hands that are working together in the sense that how people feel about something determines what they decide is their truth. And so yeah. emotions are easily manipulated, like you said. And I think one of the biggest barriers that people have in terms of embracing the church or even listening to the church is the feeling that the church is mean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it sounds it sounds juvenile, but we have to understand that that emotions are at play and we can't disregard that um, in anything that we're doing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think I just feel like <laughs> um, I and I, oop, I just stammered there. Ah, dude, ah. There, there is definitely a, a tendency um, with within the church for those who are deeply rooted in the teachings of the church to want to be Thomas Aquinas with an axe and to go logically after all of these issues. And don't don't leave that out. Know the logic. Know the issues. But you have to engage people where they are. And every every major heresy of every age um, becomes a major heresy because it discovers something that's true and then atrophies another reality. 
So one of the things that relativism acknowledges that is correct is that people's opinions and thoughts and feelings matter. The same thing with sentimentality, because that your, your friendly neighborhood relativist is a relativist sometimes because they care very deeply about their neighbor and their feelings and them being valued. And of course, relativism as a, a dangerous thought pattern doesn't lead there. It leads actually to the devaluing of the human person. Um, but we have to be better at regarding people's person mm -hmm. and regarding their view of the world and respecting their freedom and their autonomy than the relativists are. And that's, again, this whole thing of accompaniment that you, you keep hearing us talk about on the podcast that you keep hearing Francis talk about. The antidote to relativism is genuine accompaniment. When we really walk with people and we're really able to get to the root of why they think what they think and why they feel what they feel, um, I think we get somewhere. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And you said something earlier I wanted to ask you more about. You said that self-evident truths do not seem to be evident today. So what, yeah, what did you mean by that? Yeah, so I think we've kind of gotten to a, an area where certain things that we should see in front of our faces we're not seeing. I'll give you an example from YouTube. There was this kind of famous uh, video or viral video of um, somebody going to a college campus and just asking people, what if I identify as you know, seven feet tall or 10 feet tall? And it should be that, well, self-evidently, you're not if you're, you know, if you're objectively five foot ten and you identify as ten feet tall, you're just not. But a lot of the students at the university were were sort of saying, okay, well, if you want to be, you know, ten feet tall, then you are. Um, so it's it's a little bit of a brick wall. Where where do you go from there? Where the the sort of starting block, common denominator of self-evident truths just doesn't seem to um, to be evident to everybody anymore. What do you think is something that, that we can make evident to people that like across the board, it, despite all of, despite all of this kind of, um, I don't want to say maybe, yeah, maybe intellectual garbledness. Um, mm -hmm. what, what do people recognize? I uh, will throw it out in one word and the word is beauty. Beauty is the transcendental that breaks through. Especially, I think it's in, in, um, in our, our chosen workshop, I, I say that probably if you had a nickel, if you come to one of our chosen workshops and uh, you had a nickel for every time I said beauty breaks through, you'd walk away with a lot of nickels. <laughs> <laughs> um, because that, that I think is the antidote. If we lay out the, the big picture problem, um, self-evident truths not being self-evident, of a bored, busy, distracted culture, the difficulties in evangelizing, what is the ace in the whole? And it's, it's beauty that when beauty just kind of breaks right through whatever intellectual ideological traps and arrests the heart and soul. If you think about your own conversion, I would be willing to bet that there are a lot of us out there who had an encounter with somebody who, who, who lived a measure of holiness. And that, that's the thing, not some argument, but that's the thing that, that reached your heart and prepared you to receive the Holy Spirit in a deeper way. So um, to make a long answer a lot shorter, beauty is the answer. <laughs> No, I, I I totally agree in the sense that when people see somebody who's holy, they don't know that that holiness is what's happening there, but they know that they're attracted to it. Um, yes. And beauty is really, in a lot of ways, what will resonate with people from different backgrounds. And that authority appeals from authority, such as, well, the church teaches, well, Pope Pius XII said, while they can be helpful in a conversation with somebody, you don't necessarily want to start from that. Because again, um, you might think that, that whatever authority you are appealing to is saying something that is a self-evident truth, um, but to the listener or to your audience member, the opposite could be true. 
And really, it could be um, closing a door in their mind to a further conversation. So those are three kind of starting principles. And when we get back from the break, Colin is going to share with us <laughs> seven <laughs> tips. Um, seven easy to remember a paragraph <laughs> long. <laughs> no, seven very quality and helpful tips that get a little bit more into the specifics of conversing with somebody or a group of people about tough topics. So stay with us and we will be right back. Hey guys, this is Shayna from Ascension. I don't know if you've heard, but with Ascension's new digital delivery platform, you can start a study with anyone, anywhere. Here's how to do it. First, go to ascensionpress.com and create a free online account. Once you're there, preview any of our study programs for free and choose the one you'd like to lead. Then, find at least three friends, family members, or coworkers who want to do the study with you. Once you have your group, make sure everyone registers to receive their study materials. Then, you're ready to go. Meet with your group in person, online, or both. It's that simple. Welcome back. We are talking about tackling tough topics. We are not getting into specific tough topics, but future episodes will deal with some of those really hot button issues that you find yourself struggling to address. So, like liturgical colors and stuff, right? Liturgical dance, puppets on the altar, those things. Those are the kinds of things people really want to know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll leave it up to you guys' imagination, but um, pretty <laughs> confident that you can think of five issues that come up again and again. But in this section of the show, we're talking about some top tips that get a little bit more into the specifics. So Colin, what is number one? Number one is a book title from Hans Urs von Balthasar, and it's this, Love Alone is Credible. I think that it's important to start with relationships and not to start with issues. We're not um, an ideology. Christianity is not an ideology. It's an encounter with a person. That person, of course, is Jesus Christ. And we are the members of his body. So if we want to incorporate people into that life of faith, we're not just trying to like sell them ideas or trying to get them to think like us. So what we really want to do is, is love people. And then um, all of the doctrine will, will sort of follow from there. Um, rarely are we productive if we get into ideological sparring matches. And if you want proof, then uh, if you're a Facebook user, just scroll down your Facebook and see how many people are changing their ideas and perspective because people are posting divisive things. It doesn't usually work that way. If you look at the comment section after a blog, sometimes there's some genuine exchange of ideas and people come along, but more often than not, if there is any ground to be gained, it's to be gained in relationships. So to tell a quick story on this one, um, several years back, both Amy and I, my wife, um, were at an abortion clinic in um, right outside of New Orleans in, in Metairie, Louisiana. This clinic has since been closed. And Amy, that particular Saturday morning, had the role of being a sidewalk counselor. I think it was the first time she had ever done it. I was leading a rosary, and I had with me a group of teen um, guys who were um, praying their rosary. And uh, Amy was just trying to engage women who were going into the clinic, and she was doing so, I thought, you know, very, very gently, um, giving them some literature about uh, – a, uh, an alternative place that they could go to a crisis pregnancy center, which was right next door. Um, one particular woman um, was walking in with her friend who was headed into the abortion clinic. And when Amy handed the literature to, um, to the woman who was heading in for the abortion, her friend got in Amy's face. And it was 
it was kind of scary. Like my rosary stepped up. I was like, Hail Mary, full of, please don't let Amy get shot. The Lord is with you. Oh gosh. And then I watched as um, the friend headed back to her car instead of in the clinic and Amy followed her. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is not going to go well. And I didn't hear the conversation, but this is what I saw. I saw arms flailing. I saw like fingers snapping and all this sort of stuff. Um, but Amy staying very calm and just sort of listening to, to this woman and, and listening. And I watch as all of a sudden the arms stop flailing and I'm, you know, we're, we're maybe a couple of decades into the rosary at that point. And I look over and all of a sudden I see this woman give Amy a hug and head right back into the clinic. And I was just blown away. So I later I asked her, I was like, Amy, what did you do? You know, she's, it was really simple. She just said, I, I listened, you know, she flailed her arms and I listened. And then I asked a simple question, what, what happened to your friend? And she told me the story and I listened and I listened more. And then eventually, um, it turned into an opportunity to, sh to share about what the best way to, to care for and love her friend was that it turned away from judgment and away from ideology into encounter. Um, so that was to me, a huge love alone is credible moment. It also made me believe that my wife is secretly a Jedi. Um, <laughs> She sounds awesome. I know we've talked about yeah. having her on the show, so we will definitely have to um, have her on. But that really is amazing. You can talk about really uncomfortable things if you feel safe with a person. Yes, that's that's exactly it. That's exactly what I mean by love alone is credible. It's it's right in the context of just just a relationship that people people become open to talking about ideas because all of a sudden it's not just about abstract ideas. It's about it's about interpersonal relationship and dialogue. So, you know, we could use a whole lot more of that. Um, I, I would say tip number two is so, so that you can make number one happen and your love can be credible. Don't get drawn into sparring matches and ideological fights when that's what the other person is sort of baiting you into or looking, looking to do. Um, that happens in all kinds of settings, everything from peer relationships to, you know, small groups with teens to, somebody who, I don't know, maybe in, in, uh, in baptismal prep or something like that, you have somebody who's coming to you, they want, they want to go through and have their child baptized, but they also have an extra grind with the church and they want to, they want to kind of spar with you. Um, don't get drawn into those as fights, you know, make sure that your tone is always a tone of conversation is always a tone of charity and love. Um, so that, that's not, that's number two. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, one thing is, I, I think you made a good point. Like, what are you, what are you doing on social media? <laughs> um, and are you, are you being divisive? Um, are you letting yourself getting, get drawn into those even within Catholic circles? I think sometimes, um, you know, people who are, and I don't mean uber Catholic in a bad way, but people who are really, uh, really care about the church. I think sometimes we become, we are easily baited into conversations because we care so much about the truth and the faith and protecting the deposit of faith that it's easy to engage in this. And so maybe that's an arena where we can start practicing this, um, this kind of uh, self-control. So mm -hmm. yeah, look at your social media habits and, and how you're conducting yourself there and um, practice that habit, practice that yeah, habit I, of, I think, of charity. And that that's the actual definition of tolerance that works. Tolerance allows something that you don't want to exist to exist for the sake of eradicating the the bad thing later <laughs> so that the better thing can persist so mm -hmm. that that kind of tolerance all right here's somebody who has this idea that we would we would really like to engage in a, in a productive conversation about but you just have to acknowledge that there's going to be a right time and a right place where you can have a productive conversation 
and um, the moment you're in may not be that time and place. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and that leads into number three. So what, what's tip number three? Tip number three, God gave you two ears and one mouth and he did so on purpose. Um, this is one that I, I should probably write on my mirror because I talk too much, but uh, I think actually listening to the heart of the one who's questioning and knowing their objections and knowing what their objections are really about, that's what's most important. That some of those who you may encounter who have um, really vehement objections to whatever Catholic teaching, they're, they're really people who've been hurt in some particular way. Just like somebody who's outright rejected faith in God, your, your most vehement atheist is often not a disbeliever in God's existence, but somebody who's just really mad at God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how can you diagnose that? Well, by, by actually listening. Um, St. Benedict sort of says, uh, listen, therefore, with the ear of the heart. Um, and I think if we can practice that skill of really listening to people, we'll, we'll get a whole lot further and we'll know how to, how to actually engage in productive conversations. Once we can, um, you know, you're going to have to use the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You get a confirmation for that one to really have that, that wisdom to, to hear and understand um, where a person is coming from. So that's number three. Yeah. And, and just kind of on that point, um, don't listen and be thinking about the next thing that you're going to say. Because mm-hmm. sometimes when you are listening to somebody um, give out all of those objections or list their grievances, again, if you are if you are anticipating what you're going to say next to combat each of those things, then you're not listening with the ear of the heart. You are listening <laughs> in order to win a fight. Um, that's a very different type of listening. Is so. this a marriage preparation podcast or? Uh... <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know, Colin, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's excellent advice. And that's, gosh, um, for, for small group leaders, for, but especially if you're discussing something difficult, you know, a tough topic, but that is excellent advice. And, uh, again, and probably another thing I should write on my mirror in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> that's really what this is. <laughs> so the, <laughs> these are all just listed on Colin's mirror. He's reading these off are, his mirror right now. <laughs> this is an examination of conscience for me. This is good. <laughs> Well, I wish I could copy paste onto my mirror then. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number four. Number four is um, learn from the ox, I say. Uh, So St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, the the dumb ox in in the Summa, will take a format that I think we can learn a lot from. He'll ask a question, and he will very well state the objections to his position before he gives you his position, and then he'll go back and he'll undo – the um the objections he'll he'll address the objections so to make a long story short anticipate what somebody who objects to the truth is thinking and and don't just make a caricature in your head of why they're thinking it think about why why they really might be um give you an example in the summa um the question of god's existence aquinas notes that the best objection to the question of god's existence is the problem of evil and he thinks it's a really strong objection and he states it very well. And then he's able to address it and address it very well. So this is this is kind of the intellectual side of this that um, I, I don't think everybody who's listening to this, even if you're in a position of ministry, has to be some sort of consummate theologian who has all the answers on, on tap. But um, if you want to really learn your faith, then also learn the objections and know that that's kind of um, the pattern for excellent theology for the last really 700 years is ensuring that you you know what others are thinking, you understand it very well, 
and you're able to respond to it. Um, and this, if you're, if you're a lawyer, that'll probably help you in the courtroom too. <laughs> yeah. And I think another, you know, a piece of that is that every piece of an argument that somebody lays out to you there, it's not all false. And you know, it's not all false. There's some truth in there. And sometimes by repeating that, you're able to highlight the elements of truth that are in that argument um, before you engage um, and recognizing that there is truth there, some level of truth, like you mm -hmm. said, can be really disarming. Yes, absolutely. So number five, we're this, almost this should be number six, but go ahead. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> number 12, number Q. <laughs> uh, remember John 666. So I constantly come back to this. As a matter of fact, it came up this morning at Vacation Bible School, of all places. Um, but that moment in John 666, where many leave Jesus and refer, return to their former way of living, that Jesus, um, being fully human and fully divine, I'm sure does a very good job of his teaching. He presents it very well, as a matter of fact, um, with the authority of being the God who created the universe and the stars and stuff, right? So still, after Jesus presents the Bread of Life discourse, and reveals that he's the bread of life, that we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he loses a lot of people. So one, remember that it may be at the end of the day that even if we build great relationships and even if we present the truth with great clarity and even if we are as wise as St. Thomas Aquinas, there may be times when people just for a time or even for the long run reject the truth. And if it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to you. So don't think... <laughs> If you're the small group leader who happens to have somebody walk out, that it's necessarily because you did something wrong. Sure, go home, try to do better, try to understand better, work on your people skills. But I'm sure Jesus had great people skills and he lost people. Um, attached to John 666, though, is what happens next. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And remember that Peter's response is not to turn back to Jesus and say, um, Jesus, I fully understand what you're talking about. Jesus Ask Peter, are you going to leave too? And Peter turns back and says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of everlasting life. It starts with faith. And then later on, through a long process, Peter is able to understand. So it, the John 666 thing is knowing that you might lose people and, and knowing that if you, if you keep people, you may not keep them because you explained it perfectly, but because love alone was credible. And so they, they, the hung, flies in the house and, they hung on and in the long run. Do you have a visitor calling? There are there are flies in the house and, and they're throwing up. You've got no, recording, we're, but we're getting them dead, and then it's like one million. There's a million flies. Okay, so okay, I, I got. Can you close the door? But I'll come back to you in just a minute. I promise. Are we going to the pool after OT? Uh, are we going to the pool after OT? What do you guys think? I think you you should probably yes. go. Yes. Yeah! Definitely. Yes. That's staying in the podcast. <laughs> there are flies in the house and they are throwing up. There are a million flies. <laughs> Zaley, okay, baby. No, daddy, there's a lot of I know. There's a hole okay, in our okay. door. Amy? No, daddy. Daddy, there's a hole in our door. Okay, okay. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh. There are flies and there, there's a hole in our door. <laughs> So. Oh man. Well, sounds like you're going to have a really fun afternoon. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to the pool. All right. Well, after... we better hurry up with these yes. number six okay. and seven so you can get to the pool fast and right, kill all right, the flies. Right. Okay. Um, I would say that the next thing I would say though, have some solid elevator speeches. Um, so if you're, 
if you're trying to anticipate what most of the tough topics are, especially, um, I would say it's not just with teens. I think a lot of the tough topics are regarding questions of, of sexuality. Um, those are the things that often people will leave from. And there's a whole other set of apologetic things. Um, but there, there are some books and resources that will give you just a solid, you know, elevator speech, meaning um, a, a solid answer that might stick. So uh, the guides to sensitive topics that we have um, for our U program for theology of the body for teens middle school, um, those happen to be really solid. Um, uh, Jason Everett worked on those a long time ago, and I love those documents because there's really just you know a couple of paragraphs that'll give you a, just a solid answer when things do come up. Um, there are other you know resources that are out there certainly, but be prepared. You you kind of know the things that are going to come up, and uh, as Marisa said, we'll talk about what some of those are in another podcast, because that would open a long can of worms, um, but have have a solid elevator speech. Um, having a well-thought response may not cause your listener to remember everything that you said, but it will, if it's presented charitably, help them to remember that there is a good, solid answer, and it will hopefully encourage them to research it further. I think that's a really good point, because I think um, in our inner culture, it's people who do not hold to certain societally accepted ideas are kind of presented as <laughs> blundering idiots i mean to put it <laughs> to put it lightly so just the experience of talking to somebody and showing them that you have a reason for standing for what you stand for or why you believe what you believe uh, that kind of undercuts almost <laughs> everything that they have been told about Christians or Catholics. And um, yeah. I think that just, like you said, just they won't remember what you say necessarily, but they'll remember that you had something to say and it was somewhat coherent and that you were a kind, respectful person. And that can allow for a further conversation. And that's really what you're looking to do. You're not going to solve everything. You really can't tackle a tough topic in one conversation. Like you said, it's a, it's a relationship and relationships take time. And that, that brings me to point number seven about the relationship over time. Um, and not only that, but the undoing of um, maybe some of that relativism and sentimentality, that's a long process. So a lot of the tough topics require backing up several steps for there to be a real understanding, um, especially when it comes to topics of human sexuality. This is why the theology of the body exists, that there was a very coherent answer to why no to contraception that Paul VI put out there. But even back in the 60s, um, the, the equipment to understand what he was talking about wasn't quite there. And he even says at the end, if you want to understand what I'm talking about, we're going to have to go beyond partial perspectives. We're going to have to look at the meaning of the human person and his vocation, both earthly and eternal. And so you end up with this very um, beautiful teaching that, that comes to us through St. John Paul II later. And it, and it lays out a vision of the human person about who we are and what the meaning of our lives are. And by the time you get to the end of that series of audiences, it's a lot easier to answer the, the tough topics because you have a vision of the person that, um, that really answers a lot of those questions. So th that's not the kind of thing that can happen in, you know, in 10 minutes, unless there's some really amazing Holy Spirit lightning zap thing that happens. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and so patience really has to be um, front and center. Mm -hmm. And that is... A fruit of the Holy Spirit. So <laughs> if you don't have it, uh, pray for it and try to practice it. And that's a, that is on my mirror. So um, just to sum up, number one of, of Colin's tips is that love is, love alone is credible. So relationship is, is 
first and foremost where you have to start. Number two, don't be drawn into a sparring match by somebody who's just looking for a fight. Number three, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so we need to listen with the ears of the heart. Number four, when you do discuss an actual topic, a tough topic, learn from St. Thomas Aquinas and first reiterate the argument that the person has just articulated. Number five, remember John 6, 6, 6, that Jesus's disciples remained with him because of who he was. And it was because of who he was that they sought understanding. Number six, have some solid answers, particularly um, elevator speeches, so that when somebody does engage with you, you have something to say. Number seven, um, tough topics sometimes are going to require a long time to unpack and um, unwind. So be patient. So those are Colin's seven tips. I, I think Thomas Aquinas would wholeheartedly disapprove. He made everything in threes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Colin, thank you so much for um, giving us those tips. And for all of you listeners, again, we really appreciate um, we appreciate hearing from you. We appreciate your feedback, your topic ideas. Please, if you do listen to us, one of the things that you can do to help more people find out about us is you can rate and review us on iTunes. Um, I hate to you know, make a shameless request for it, but I'm doing that now. Um, please pretty, go please. pretty please. Uh, please go on. We know that there are a lot of you listening, but I'm going to be really honest and level with you guys right now. We have one review. So one review isn't even enough to have an average review. <laughs> so, Is it a good I, review? The one review? Yeah, it's great, but there's only one of them. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we, we need some help. <laughs> um, yeah. So in a spirit of humility, you know, if the spirit moves you, go ahead. All right. We're wrapping up. Thank you so much. Check out the show notes at ascensionpresents.com slash podcasts. And you can also email us at ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Marisa. Can you say peace like Alan does? I don't know. Um, what are, I see your son's there with you. Can he? All right. Leo, can you say we're praying for you and we love you? Peace. I'm going to be your own piece.